Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 292, recorded at Big Dog Studios in Eugene, Oregon. Today's show is made possible by TheRealHerbMarket.com. Are you looking for a store that specializes in herbal products for health, beauty, your home, and even magic? TheRealHerbMarket.com is that store. Mud Paw Design. Is your site ADA compliant? Do you know if it is? Mud Paw Design can help you by running a free website accessibility audit. Just go to mudpawdesign.com slash free dash ADA dash audit today. As modern herbalists, we often focus on the healing properties of the plants, and we've narrowed our definition of healing to mainly physicality of life. That's not how it always was. Before, the plants let us see healing in a much bigger way. Today, we're talking with Dietrich Cohen and Adam Siegel, authors of Ashkenazi Herbalism, Rediscovering the Herbal Traditions of Eastern European Jews, about seeing the plants from a broader healing perspective. Now, here are your hosts. I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Welcome back, Dietra and Adam. Thank, thank you, you, Candace thank and Patrick. Thanks. Yes, thank you. I I am so excited to have you guys back because yeah, after talking with you last time, I just started thinking even more about that intermix of spirit and herbs and physicality and what Eastern Europe and the Ashkenazi herbalists and healers were really working with. And it's oh, it's fascinating to me. So yeah, that's what I want to talk about today. <laughs> Get right into it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely a kind of lost in the ethers way of helping our ourselves and each other. Um, so much of what um, we discovered is something that doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. And yet it's something that, almost feels like we need it more than ever. Yes. Yes. That is, that's been part of the area of herbalism as I've studied over the last, you know, 20 years, that's been feeling almost like it's, it's standing just outside of just outside the sight line. I can feel it there, but I can't quite see it. I'm trying to, you know, trying to make that connection and it's challenging. It's really challenging. Yeah. Um, for me, it's, um, I, I wrote the book from the perspective of being, um, somebody from a specific, uh, culture and ethnicity, but it's also often always associated with a kind of, with a religion, which is Judaism. And I wasn't raised religiously at all. So, you know, a lot of what I, researched was all new to me and um and and really foreign you know um because I wasn't familiar with it I hadn't grown up with it and so I hadn't been around it and yet you know I also have my own kind of um beliefs you know that probably are really not like what my ancestors um, believed and practiced, but at the same time, um, I do, I don't know. I feel like religion's a very personal thing. And so um, for me, it's more about feeling connected with other people and our 
environment and the world and the planet and the universe and just feeling like we're all part of this one energy and this one mystery. And so um, I, I, I appreciate a lot of how that also translates into how the Ashkenazi healers worked with plants in their own spirituality and brought all that together to make people feel like they were part of a larger community and in that yeah. way to heal, you know, and to help the community heal. I don't know if that yeah. was kind of like a jumbled way of getting into <laughs> yeah. this, but um, I hope it makes a little bit yeah. of sense. Yeah. You know, as, as we study the herbs today, or at least my experience of studying the plants has been that there's nods to energetics and, and oftentimes energetics mm-hmm. is reframed into trying to understand a physical manifestation of whatever the energetic energy might be. And there's nods to spiritual elements of the plants, you know, things like the um, doctrine of signatures and things, you know, things like that. They nod at it, but they don't really talk about what that means and what the, the deeper knowledge is. And I feel like, I mean, based on what what I read in Ashkenazi herbalism, but also it just seems like there's like this intuitive feeling that there was a deeper understanding and that it was practiced, herbalism and healing was practiced from a much broader perspective in that community and in that time than what we currently are practicing in, as it were. Yeah, for sure. Um, The further you go back, um, when the uh, Bala Shem were practicing, um, they drew from Kabbalah mm-hmm. and um, that had a lot more um, spiritual aspects to it. And, um, and I think that, you know, from what I understood that they were doing was um choosing plants and other healing modalities that were more tied in with that realm, you know, the more spiritual realms. And then after the enlightenment, um, (laughs) that was something that was kind of, um, oh, dismissed more especially in medicine, which is part of the sciences, which was the focus of uh, enlightenment thought. And um, so a lot of that started to get stripped out and it didn't happen until later in the Pale of Settlement among the Ashkenazim, but it did happen there. And um, the Bali Shem eventually kind of um, faded out and were replaced by other kinds of healers that were more, um, uh, I, I want to say scientific, although, um, before they became formally trained, they were also traditional healers and those would have been Feldshers. Um, and, uh, but all these people used plants and the Felchers before 
uh, and probably even after the formal training, um, they all were very um, kind of um, wedded to and really committed to uh, Judaism and mm -hmm. traditional practices. And so that never really, um, I don't think that ever really went away in mm -hmm. the shtetls and the um, Jewish communities. I think as far as the Felchers uh, were concerned, that was also always an aspect of, you know, how they approached healing. Do you want to add to that? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, right. There's so much, there's so much complex stuff that went on when we were really having to delve into that. That's all like in part one of, of Ashkenazi herbalism, just yeah. telling the story of Jewish science and Jewish medicine in Eastern Europe and trying yeah. to sort of contextualize it, but also decontextualize it from, you know, the religious traditions or the received, you know, there's like the Orthodox, not in the terms of Orthodox Judaism, but just, you know, this is religion and that is superstition. This is science and that right. is superstition. This is what's real and that's a bunch of quackery. You know, quackery. Yeah. And <laughs> that kind of, that comes at you from every angle when you get yeah. at this. And it's, you know, it's not enough that you've got, um, healers who are being dismissed by you know medical doctors you know or yeah. you know academy physicians but they're also being dismissed by you know the religious leaders in the community yeah and 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 there's an enormous amount of sort of you know in, in, inherent sexism and in all this as well which yeah. which came sort of comes out and it's um it's it, it's it really it um it made me, it made us, certainly, I'm speaking for teacher now, uh -huh. um, much more appreciative of the extent to which, you know, traditional knowledge of the most deeply rooted kind was preserved and maintained and kept strong yeah. within the community, despite, in fact, a lot of the time, I mean, that, you know, in, 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 among us, especially in the smaller towns and the shtetls and the villages, um, you know, it was sort of a mutual, a mutual antipathy. You know, somebody who'd go, gone off to St. Petersburg to train as a doctor was not going to take up a post in some little podunk town. They wanted to be in St. Right. Petersburg or Moscow. And it was fine because the people in the village didn't want them. Right. You know, yeah. they we're not, you know, well, they first they charge. Yeah. They feed well, service. We've got uh, perfectly good healers <laughs> right here who, who we know we work with and, and their way of healing us and treating us is completely antithetical to how things are done by, you know, by the people who come out of the Western tradition. Yeah, there that that whole the enlightenment. Sometimes it makes me kind of chuckle to think of the imagery of what we're saying here, enlightening. But at the mm -hmm. same time, it isn't. I mean, it's it's really more the separation because it's about separating. Mm -hmm. separating science from religion right. from you know separating mm -hmm. everything into its separate right. boxes and then strictly defining what's allowed to be in each box yeah. mm -hmm. and then trying to throw away everything else right. which yeah. is an important part perhaps of a development of thought but it's also a painful and damaging part of development of thought you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. It was like, they're so mutually exclusive that they can't even exist together. They can't even like inform each other. And even today, when you think about Western medicine, it rarely, if ever acknowledges that it comes out of this. Yes. It's a direct descendant of the traditional medicine and the traditional um, knowledge of plants and going further pharmacology pharmacy yes goes into native lands and i hate to say it but steals this knowledge and brings it back and makes a profit off of it you know yeah i mean they go to these indigenous communities and study their healers and what they're doing and they they take the knowledge back the plants back and they you know reconstituted they tear them apart even further and then they isolate parts of them and then they try to profit off of that often often creating damage in it because when you start isolating like that you also create side effects Mm -hmm. yeah exactly going back to saint john's wort um when you isolate the one constituent hyperacin and make it something concentrated it's not helpful in the way that you know it's touted to be you need the entire plant synergy to um do whatever healing that um it's meant to do yes yes that is so spot on yes so it's yeah it's, yeah. it's a continuing um problem you know and i'm not saying that western medicine is all bad because obviously you know it's done some amazing things and um you know i i thank it for all kinds of things that it's done for people that i know but at the same time the way that it's so exclusive and has been from its very beginnings is just really problematic when it could really be so much more um just you know kind of uh, what would you call that just if it would acknowledge the plants and also um be allow plant knowledge and plant application to be available for people and um just encouraged you know when it's appropriate you know and so these two um, schools of thought could coexist and, you know, be more helpful for all different kinds yeah. of reasons that we're seeing right now. Like, go ahead. Right. And they do coexist. I mean, yeah. in, the, in the herbal community, they certainly do. Yeah. I mean, I've never talked to anybody, you know, who worked, worked, worked with plants who, like as Dietrich just said, didn't, you know, understand that, you, you know, there's a time when you actually need to go to the hospital or you need right. to go to a physician, you need to go to the pharmacy and actually have them, you know, you got to, there's all, you know, got yeah. cancer. There's some things that Western medicine is really good for. And, right. you know, that, and it's, it, it, we acknowledge that and recognize that and respect that. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I'm seeing happening, just the beginnings of what I think I'm seeing happening in the broader herbal community is that we're starting to seek that place where the plants have, we understand the physical aspect of what the plants are doing. We understand some of the, maybe the chemistry of the why and that sort of, you know, very scientific formulation or um, approach to how it works. 
but we also want to understand those intangible elements that come with the plants yeah. that you don't get from a pill or other yeah. medical mm -hmm. interventions. And more and more herbalists are starting to draw on those and talk about the fact that they're drawing on those to help their clients. Whereas, right. you know, in the past, herbalists, modern herbalists may have done some of that, but they never ever actually mentioned, I'm also choosing this herb because, you know, I'm also choosing the St. John's wort to help this person because I know that they've got some stressors in their lives that are causing some depression and some anxiety swings. And I know that that piece of sunshine that St. John's wort brings to the table will help them on a spiritual level or a more emotional level. And there's other constituents and I can justify it if mm -hmm. I'm talking to them because of the science. Right. You know, yeah. herbalists are starting to actually come out and say, well, St. John's wort is good for depression too. It's good when your spirits are low. So this one is the one I want to use with you, you know? Mm -hmm. It's true. And also, yeah. I mean, that actually, I mean, that's something that Dietrich was sort of, um, sort of when you were in school, because you were, I remember you were, you know, what, what, what kinds, what kinds of, um, you know, uh, I was thinking about like Nervines. Yeah. Uh-huh. That you, you know, that there was, you know, you were definitely in our household, I think <laughs> the remedies that we get the most. Yeah, <laughs> and I yeah. think, you know, for, for me and our son who, um, you know, um, our, our, you just made a formula yeah. last week for us because we were having some stressors. Yeah. Terrific. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are definitely plants that um, I associate with uh, more, um, you know, more heartfelt um, situations or. Yeah. I, yeah. And, you know, I mean, talking about herbalists who uh, work from that perspective there are some that are really doing some incredible work like um you know sage of popham i don't yes, know if you've yeah. talked to him he's amazing one of my teachers was a guy who doesn't i don't think he really um is out there as far as like podcasts but his name is uh rylan sian and um he did a lot of talking about um blue vervain uh, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just love that plant so much. I mean, I just really, just really look to it for just all kinds of, just, you know, just mellowing out. And yeah. he, he, he had his own explanation for it. But, you know, everybody, it's, it's interesting how, you know, somebody will talk about a plant for a certain reason how it affects them and then you try it yourself and you work with it for a little while and it's just a completely you know maybe similar but a totally different experience yeah you know i and vervain is something that's um uh talked about in one of the sources that we used um mm -hmm. uh ha cohen um so it's definitely a plant that um that uh, the Ashkenazim were aware of even yeah. as many as, uh, you know, I think three, 400 years ago. So that's comforting too, to know that there's this long line of um, connection with the plant. And uh, so, yeah, um, it's, 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 um, it's important to, to try the plants on 
for yourself and to work yeah. with them to find exactly, you know, how you, how they manifest in your body, you know, where you feel them and, you know, what kinds of feelings it brings up. And, you know, that's yeah. really, for me, that's a really a spiritual experience, you know, it is. You know, it, it really it is. is. It's like a form of communion. Yeah, it is. Really, yeah. So. It is. And that deep connection, I, I've, I'm really thankful that you wrote Ashkenazi herbalism or Ashkenazi herbalism, because I think the tenacity they had in hanging on to that approach and that understanding of the plants is mm -hmm. part of what allowed us to have that understanding to rekindle it and to reawaken to it now, even those of us who are not, you know, from Eastern Europe or of Jewish descent specifically, I mean, it, it's because they hung on to the energy so long that it didn't have an opportunity to fully dissipate. We didn't mm -hmm. completely lose it, even though there's was a, a swath of years where it was so far underground, it was hiding, you know, kind of like the mushrooms, the chanterelles hide underground after the forest fire. They'll, the mycelium network is still there. It's waiting for the conditions to reappear and it'll take a couple of decades, but the trees will return and then the mushrooms will return. And I feel like our trees are finally returning and the mushrooms of herbal knowledge and all that is it's coming back and it's, I love it yeah. so much that you say that. I can't even tell you. It's just like, <laughs> oh God, I can't believe it. It's, you put words to like a feeling, you know, that I've had. And yeah, it's just, it is amazing how like strongly they held on to that no yes. matter what, you know, until the end. Yeah. It was, it's just, I, I don't know. There are no words for that. How does yeah. that happen? You know? I mean, when everything that you're being told is no, no, no. Right. And yet you cling to mm -hmm. it because you know that, you know, it's your connection with life and with the, yes. the earth. And yeah. It's just, I don't know. That is amazing. That's an amazing thing that you point out. So thank you. Oh. Thank you for, for bringing that to light. Yeah. Thank you for doing the research and helping all of us get to share and understanding some of this history because... I mean, the way they understood the plants was unique and beautiful, and it was so informed. I mean, you know, for a long time, that's, you know, oh, superstition, blah, 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 you know, people, you know, blow it up. But the fact is, even the uneducated folk healers understood yeah. the plants from an incredibly informed and knowledgeable base just because of where they were and how they mm -hmm. were learning. How do you know you're hitting the big time? When you see folks wearing your logo out and about. Ace High Graphics can help you get your logo out there with custom design apparel, like hats and hoodies and tees with custom bags and more. Ace High Graphics can do small runs as little as 10 items or hundreds to meet your needs. We'll help you be seen no matter how large or small you are. Visit acehighgraphics.com today. Yeah, and I... One thing that I wanted to say was I was taking notes. <laughs> but even like the Yibo, which is the, uh, it's a, it's a 
classic um, encyclopedia of the Jews who lived in Eastern Europe. So there's a Yibo encyclopedia online. And one of the first things that I found was the entry for health and healing and healers. And they talk about, you know, just matter of factly how, oh, yes, they were very reliant on the plants up until the very end, but they never really really say how important that was yeah. you know they, they just kind of gloss over it and then kind of a more obscure source that I found was a, a, a an article or an essay by a guy named Richard Rubin about you know these these people that he found in a in a retirement home or in Florida after the war in the 70s and they all this group of people talked about the plants just very matter-of-factly like oh yes we we had asafoetida for you know keeping colds away and we uh you know had garlic and we had chamomile for Mm -hmm. this and raspberry leaves for that and it's just like it's just amazing to me that nobody you know thought to really, you know, talk to these people and find out about their knowledge. I mean, this would have been ethnobotany, but for some reason it wasn't important. And yet I think we still carry it with us. You know, I've told the story about when, you know, I was, you know, in my thirties, we were living in Berkeley and we'd walk by this one spot and I always called this scent, the candy smell. And I'm like, where's that coming from? What is that? I must know what it is. And so I, it wasn't for like a decade later that we had gone to um, Eastern Europe and there was a linden tree in bloom, but I didn't yes. know it at the time. But I'm like, and I oh, just yeah. walked, walked until I found where it was coming from. And I'm like, yes. God, I feel like I'm home, you know, yes. and linden is one of the plants that was known by Ashkenazim and all the people who lived, you know, yeah. in Eastern Europe and Europe. And today I just, you know, it's part of my tea every day and it yeah. makes me feel so much better because it's moisturizing and it's calming and it's heart medicine. Yeah. And so I, we, we carry these things in us, you know, they're part of us. We'll never lose them. Right. You know, you just have to be able to tap into, you know, if it's a spiritual thing or a religious thing or a scientific, you know, DNA memory, you know, mm-hmm. we have, we have these, these, these strands that go yeah. back hundreds, if not thousands, 10,000 years, you know, that we've brought with us and, yeah, I, I think you are absolutely right about that. And I mean, for me, one of the things is garlic. I mean, I would not live oh, my life yeah. without garlic. That would yeah. be wrong. And I have yeah. felt there have been a few people I've run into in my life who had an allergy or were unable to eat garlic or other alliums. And anytime I run into that, I just have this like wave of like grief for them. Like, how can you live? feeling that exposed and that you know because garlic is protective it's such a strong protective sturdy little fellow he's just right there (laughs) 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 well don't tell patrick i have done a couple of times (laughs) carry it along because but that that weird attitude toward the plants is i think probably very much akin to 
the Ashkenazi people and the the other people who were living in that area, not just the Jewish people, but all of the people there. The knowing, Mm -hmm. the knowing that this plant, you know, this garlic is a good and protective one. It's going to keep the vampires away and you want that. (laughs) Best marketing slogan ever. (laughs) (laughs) Eat this. No vampires. Yeah, well, you know, that's a thing. (laughs) Nice. There's another herbalist that you might want to talk to named um, Dory Midnight, who um, uh, she's uh, she's Sephardi and Ashkenazi, so Ooh. she's got both sides, and she is yeah. really big on garlic, oh, and yeah. she talks about garlic a yeah. lot. And you know, I mean, you can ask Adam; we have garlic almost every day. Oh yeah. Yeah, because you, you can't live safely without it. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, we can just, you know, yeah, to we can just breathe out out. the fumes yeah. and kind of clear out our lungs yeah. every day. Oh, my gosh. I remember yeah. being being in high school and my family ate a reasonable amount of garlic. My mom wasn't as strong about these things as I have been. Have, as I am, let's just say, but, but garlic was a part of our life. And I remember my sister complaining that she didn't want to have garlic because in her breath would smell bad. And I remember even back then thinking, so what if, <laughs> if he still wants to kiss you, then you're, he's the kind of guy you want. Why would you want someone who doesn't eat garlic? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you say that, but wasn't it? Oh, it was, no, it was your father's side that did the head of garlic at Christmas. Yes, that was a tradition. They And it wasn't a head. Every midnight, all the men at midnight on Christmas Eve, I believe it was before midnight mass, but it might have been right after, had to eat a clove of gar- raw garlic before, either before or after. Oh, and it was it, a clove? It was a clove, a single Whatever. clove. <laughs> and I don't remember if the women did it too. Because they I was too it. young. Yeah, they just like chew it right up. No problem. Oh. I mean, <laughs> Patrick and I tried that once. It was not midnight mass. It was much earlier in the evening. <laughs> but <laughs> we didn't get very far with one clove of garlic. Each. <laughs> well, yeah, raw garlic. Yeah. Yeah, it was sharp. Very. You know, oh. I learned to in school about like if you if you don't want to have garlic breath but you want to get all the benefits mm-hmm. of um of it you know coming through your lungs and clearing out whatever pathogens you can cut up one clove really small and then just swallow it like a little pills mm, and, yeah. and it does the same thing you don't get the garlic breath and it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't upset your stomach no. at all that's, so that's another that's yeah, a good one nearly daily yeah um, rituals yeah that sounds like a really good one for the younger dating set yes be exactly. smart. yeah not yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we check in with each other afterwards yes. <laughs> yeah Oh, but I love what you said about Linden. I mean, that is one of those ones that I find myself coming back to uh, every time I'm traveling, which obviously hasn't been, you know, very much the last, you know, year and a half. But, but I find myself coming back to it and it does feel like home. And my ancestors are from Poland. 
So I'm thinking, mm. well, that that like gives me this like happy, renewed feeling like, oh, I need to look into this a little further and see because oh, yeah. you know, maybe that's part of where that connection is. Because it's not it's not something that my mom was making. She didn't make herbal tea. She only made, you know, black tea. Uh, yeah, Lipton. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> so. it was good for me too. But that smell yeah. was something that I yeah. didn't, I didn't know where it was coming from. You know, mm-hmm. but it, I knew there was something about it. You know how smells are. Yeah, you know, yes. suddenly, like, bam, you've got this huge memory of something. You know, I don't even know where it came from. Yeah, but it could be, from, you know, like garlic. You know, yeah. or or anything that you might, you know, a, a cooking smell or yeah, know, like rye yeah. bread. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So you have to pay attention to those, those, those scents that, you know, yes. kind of waft by and, and catch you. <laughs> yes. And I have been feeling for the past few years, actually, like now is the time for some deep healing for the peoples and the energies of Eastern Europe. And especially, you know, all that happened in World War One and World War Two, and there's so much, you know, damage, so much tragedy, so much grief, so much loss. And I feel like we've been in this place of healing that, pulling those, you know, ancestral memories up. And we've gone through a lot of, or at least I've gone through a lot of like dreams and sorrows and experiences where the hard parts of that have, have come up and I've had to sit in witness of them and and feel through it and having the joy that came through in your book in Ashkenazi herbalism, having the joy and the caring that the people had for the plants and for each other and for their place makes that it's like it's time to move past looking at the really hard, deep, painful parts and into the let's remember the joyful parts too. Let's remember the love. Let's remember the wisdom. And yeah. I think you're, I'm really, I mean, the timing for your book coming out, I think is absolutely beautiful in terms of the greater healing energy of moving that energy. Yeah. We feel like that too. Yeah. Because you can yeah. take it with you, you know. That's yeah. the thing. Is like I think that, yeah. I don't, you know, the, 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 that's, you know, the twenty six plants. Um, yes. You know, we're 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 re- you know, Dietra spent a lot of time, you know, <laughs> deciding what to include. Because obviously there could have been a hundred, you know. Oh yeah. But, um, it was what you know, what a representative of these traditions, and what, what you know, what what can you continue to use. Yeah. You know, what's, what, what, what are, you know, what are, you know, plants that are sort of well-known and well-understood and widely available and they constitute sort of a portable materia medica that you can take with you and that's going to connect you to, you know, these, these, these vanished communities or this vanished world. It's not vanished because you're carrying it with you now. Yeah. It's just remembering how to look at it. I mean, it's like we've had blinders since the enlightenment, we've all been wearing blinders and now we can take them off. We don't have to yeah. wear them anymore. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be the, the dumb one in the room. <laughs> you, you said that word three times. I'm not the only one. When and how? More information on enlightenment. Oh gosh. Um. Well, there's there's there's. 
I guess, broadly speaking, the Enlightenment is a period that runs from maybe the mid-17th century in, uh, up until the early 19th century, depending on where in Europe you are, which is sort of uh, an embrace of rationalism, logic, uh, scientific investigation, the scientific method. Uh, you think about people like you know, Descartes or Cartesian logic to Darwin to, you know, it's basically the entire sort of invention of the modern, the world of modern progress as we understand it today. Technological okay. advances, um, a sequestration of religion. Religion now goes over here and then there's like the real world and that's basically the enlightenment. Okay. So I, when, when I heard that, I was like, I would, they can't be referring to the Renaissance. This is something different. So that's why I asked, and I'm sure if I had the question, other people had it. So mm -hmm. That's why. <laughs> okay. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> and there, and there, there, there was a Jewish Enlightenment in Eastern Europe called the Haskala, which yeah. again, sort of, you know, if you if you read Ashkenazi herbalism, you'll you, you can sort of see that the impact that the the, the Jewish Enlightenment, the Haskala, had on traditional ways yeah. in Eastern European Jewish communities. You know, a lot of the same, you know, even you can imagine if you, you know, that if the, the common denominator for, you know, enlightenment thought is, you know, we have to do away with anything we, we deem quote superstitious and you can't see my air quotes, but I'm making air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> and that certainly was, 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 was yeah. brought to bear. But um, one of the, the, the saving graces was most of Eastern Europe was so, and most of these communities were so poor and isolated yeah. and sort of cut off from the sort of the centers of, you know, it's one thing to sit around in Warsaw or Moscow or St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg or Vienna and opine about, you know, these benighted Jews in the shtetls. But as long as you don't go out there to, to <laughs> wag your finger at them and tell them how benighted they are, they're not going to pay any attention to you. <laughs> they were very practical in that way, weren't they? They were just kind of like, you know, we're going to do what we're going to do and you guys can have whatever you say about it. You know, they yeah. just. And the same was. Yeah, in all those yeah. communities. I mean, it yeah. really is. I was sort of glad, you know, as we were sort of like discussing like the role of spirituality. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things about Eastern Europe in general is that it's, you know, there the the a lot of, you know, it was it was like the last part of of of, of Europe to be converted to Christianity. You know, places yeah. like Lithuania or Latvia weren't even you know, the, the 14th century. And um, there is a much more sort of holistic, syncretic um, preservation and appreciation for um, practices, spiritual uh, and other and, and religious and, and other forms of observance that really have nothing to do with with Christianity or Judaism or Islam, because mm -hmm. there's Muslim communities there as well. Yeah. And I think that's definitely one of the common denominators that makes you know, Eastern European herbal traditions of which, you know, Ashkenazi traditions are, are but a part, you know, such a, a, an interesting and far more deserving of wider study, you know, yeah. phenomenon. It's a phenomenon. All right. There's so much to think about. Yeah. There's a lot to think about. Yeah. 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 
And on a podcast, you can't leave that that space, you know? (laughs) No. Our next book. (laughs) I will be looking forward to that because, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much there. There really is so much there. And the plants, just like plants grow in so many different communities and so many different types. I mean, the Ashkenazi herbalists – brought so many they came there were so many pieces they brought to the table and they picked up so much they weren't afraid to try out something new and i think that's part of the magic of and the the mystery of the plants and the herbalism that they held on to and it's i'm thankful for it yeah it was interesting i mean we there's a you know there's a little bit of compare and contrast where you can clearly mm-hmm. see like we did enough comparative stuff like here are communities that we suspect were you know we know were mostly ashkenazi yeah um, and and they used the plants in this way but in the meantime you know the ukrainian neighbors were using the plants you know in a slightly different way maybe that was some maybe it could have been something as simple as somebody had a copy of dioscorides and knew the the Western European tra- yeah. tradition as opposed to somebody else. Another thing that was really interesting was that um, one of the, one of the really hugely like charged symbolic plants for, 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 for Ukrainians and Russians is Gilder Rose. Oh. Dog, dog Rose, right? I, Gilder Rose. I, I don't think it's Dog Rose. No, it's good. That, uh, Gilder Rose. Yeah. Um, and that was not, you know, we didn't find that used at all in the, in the in the Ashkenazi communities that, that we studied in the book. No. Yeah, that is that really interesting. I was like a tell because you think because you know these are ostensibly communities that have a large, you know, ethnic Ukrainian yeah. population. You would they would probably be using Gilder Rose, but no. I forget what's it's Lin- I can't Linnaean? remember the we'll look uh, it up. Linnaean name. I'll look it up. We'll have that <laughs> in our show notes. I did want to say that um plants belong to themselves and um, they're their own beings and um, that they don't discriminate between different peoples. So they can't really be claimed by any one people. They're their own and they belong to the world. And, um, and plants have brought people together in the past for healing, for food, for all kinds of things. And after doing all this work and research, it really feels like plants could bring people together now and into yeah. the future. And that's one of my biggest hopes and wishes is that people would see how lovely and how beautiful the plants are and how they can do this, you know, for, for, yeah, for us and for themselves and for the planet. Yeah. Part and, of, part of the healing that I felt as I was reading your book and especially looking at the monograph section is that you have, you know, a little section on the various different ways, the lenses through which the plant's been viewed, you know, from Western pra- practice, it was used this way in the Ashkenazim. It was used, they used it that way. And, and those yeah. many perspectives are all about this one being it's, mm-hmm. and it, in that way, it feels like that's a coming together of all these peoples around this one plant. This is the community this plant has drawn to itself, is all of these different ways of looking at it. So it's deeply healing, yeah. and it's a bringing together and a reawakening to the fact that this is all the plant. 
It's all of it. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's amazing to me is like some of the plants had similar um, applications from, you know, totally yeah. um, disparate places. Like I, I yeah. can't remember exactly which plant it was, but the people in the pale were using it in the same way as native Americans. Yeah. You know, and that lipidium. was, yeah, it was a lipidium, mm-hmm. the lipidium genus. And so that was just, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't like a, just a general usage or knowledge. It was just like a really specific thing, which I can't think of right now, but it was just amazing to me that just, you know, yeah. this knowledge is so like, um, just, similar and yet you know very unique you know the world over yeah it's humbling it's as a human being it's very humbling to know that this plant is is a teacher and it is taught across the Uh entire world you know multiple places multiple times and the message is consistent right and 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 that people have gone to it for the for for their, for yeah. their health. For, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My articulation. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Mm. All right. So, so how can people find you and how can people get your book? Um, we have a website. It's um, ashkenaziherbalism.net. All one word. Um, and uh, we, I post things on there. Uh, not, uh, regularly, but enough that you might want to check back there under the blog. There's a blog section. And, um, these are things that probably aren't in the book. So, um, one of the things that actually one of our readers asked us to do is to transliterate some of the, uh, Yiddish, uh, and yeah, the Yiddish pronunciations for the, for the plants. So you can find that on our blog. And, um, so that's on the blog. I, also set up uh, an Instagram. Yay. So sometimes mm-hmm. I post mm. stuff on there that's not <laughs> uh, on the blog. And we also have a Facebook page and they're all under Ashkenazi Herbalism. And if you're interested in the book, you can purchase it. We hope you purchase it from an independent bookstore. If you'd like to go to a library, um, uh, many libraries have bought it. You can do interlibrary loan or even ask your uh, local library to buy a copy of it. Yeah, definitely do that. Ask them to buy a copy. Yes, yes. as former librarian, as a former librarian, and you as a yes. current librarian. Yes, please do ask. Them. librarians. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we like it. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, with that, put an herb on it. Herb on it. Put an herb on it. <laughs> the statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration (FDA) and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.